This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Since, you know, um, life sciences are always trying to make the best use of light for many different, different purposes. Uh, for instance, uh, we use uh, um, X-ray beam for crystallography and infrared light um, for um, vibrational spectroscopy. Um, but most um, biologists use visible light. Okay. And chromophore is a structure unit so that um, absorbs certain visible light, and it is responsible for color, and in many cases it has uh, the pipe conjugation system, and single and double bonds um, appear alternately so that pi electrons can be delocalized. So electrons uh, oscillate or sing on the chromophore, and that's uh, quite important for the interaction with the visible light. And my laboratory is engaged in technological innovation in bioemission, and principally using fluorescent proteins. And I'd like to introduce to you so the most classical um, fluorescent protein I call a GFP. And a uh, long time ago, so in 1962, Osama Shimomura discovered protein f- um, from the light emit organ um, of the jellyfish. And uh, just 30 years later, in 1992, it was cloned by uh, dark pressure. And in 1994, so the heterologous expression of Ecuador GFP was achieved by Marty Shorty at Columbia. Okay. And this is the primary structure of Ecuador GFP, just 238 amino acids. So there is no chromophore that I uh, defined a moment ago in the peptide. But from these three amino acids, calcium, glycine, so three reactions occur spontaneously. Okay. And cyclization, dehydration, and oxidation reactions to make the pi conjugation system. So this is the GFP's chromophore, um, which absorbs blue light. Okay. But this slide doesn't say anything about its fluorescence. So now, so this is a crystal structure we call a GFP and a beta bottle structure. And the 11 stranded beta bottle with one other helix inside. And the chromophore is formed on the helix. And the, the bottle is very uh, robust. And the chromophore is packed inside. And it takes a very rigid structure. So that explains why uh, GFP's fluorescence quantum yield is very high. And the mutagen studies get done by uh, Dr. Roger Tan, so uh, produced quite a few uh, color variants, and more useful and brighter. Okay. And I stayed in Roger's lab from 95 to 98, and I used uh, CFP and YFP and as the donor and acceptor for FRET, so to create so the um, genetically encoded indicator for calcium ion chameleons, as uh, Mark um, mentioned kindly. Okay. So now I, I like to discuss why calcium imaging is so interesting and appealing. Okay. So there should be two major reasons. So first, um, calcium signaling is very so dynamic. Okay. So the concentration of free calcium ion changes so greatly. So it should be fun. So to uh, uh, observe, uh, for instance, here calcium oscillations. The second. Uh, so due to the endogenous and the very abundant calcium buffering systems, we can express a huge amount of calcium probes so without affecting intracellular calcium dynamics very much. Okay? So we can increase signals, uh, signal-to-noise signal to ratio. Okay? 
So here we um, expressed a large quantity of chameleon and excitatory neurons of the forebrain, mouse, and we shine the skinless head with excitation light and to get these calcium data out and through the intertoscal and video rate and for more than 30 minutes. Okay. So these readouts um, reflect so spontaneous neuronal activities and which are composed of multiple oscillations of different frequencies and very symmetrical. And the mouse was half awake, so when we gave um, um, visual stimulation, so we saw an evoked response in the body, okay, in the visual cortex. Now back to so this slide, so GFP is chromophore, and it has a phenol ring, so which comes from tyrosine residue. Okay. Well, um, almost all of the um, fluorescent proteins now available so do have phenol rings in their chromophores. Okay. And the exceptions, the CFP and the BFP, so they have indole ring, imidazole ring coming from tryptophan and histidine. But uh, phenol ring containing chromophore is most uh, common. Okay. And there is um, an equilibrium uh, between protonated and ionized state of the phenol hydroxyl group. Okay. And they um, absorb 400 and 480 nanometer light. And in many cases, so the ionized form are fluorescent. Okay. So uh, therefore, um, GFP basically has um, a bimodal absorption spectrum. Okay. And now uh, circular permutation. Okay. And a long time ago, just serendipitously, uh, GIF Beard and in Rouge's lab found so this site, 144, 145, so the midpoint of the beta strand number seven, so tolerate, so circular permutation. So circular permitted GFP can synthesize chromophore very well. And uh, the now, so the chromophore, uh, so the, the uh, equilibrium uh, is quite sensitive to a neighboring event such as calcium dependent protein protein interaction. Okay, so this is the, the operational principle of GCAMP or Pericam. Okay. So the point, very important point is that, so that here calcium binding changes absorption spectrum, not fluorescence quantum yield. Okay. So as a kind of a future perspective, so the GCAMP should be well combined with uh, photoacoustic imaging. Now, I have to say, uh, not only the jellyfish, but some of the Nidarian animals or marine animals so can produce um, quite similar frozen proteins. Okay? And uh, well, we have cloned many uh, new frozen proteins from those animals. And uh, well, by using uh, so these green red proteins, um, we, uh, some time ago, we developed cell cycle probe. Okay? And we used um, the ubiquitin oscillator Okay, cell cycle dependent protolysis, so to create the cell cycle probe which labels individual nuclei in genome phase red and those in SD2 phases green. Uh, that's food. And the green and the red uh, indicate so the go and stop, so the S phase entry, so like a traffic signal. And when food was introduced into HeLa cells, so um, derived from malignant tumor. Uh, we observed cell cycle progression in real time at a single cell level, but when we did the same thing using a benign tumor-derived cell line, uh, we um, saw very clear contact inhibition. And upon reaching convert monorail, all of the cells became red and then uh, stopped so their proliferation. 
Okay? And we introduce scratch. And so if some of the cells are turning green after some written time, so they re-enter the cell cycle and to build the gap. Okay? And we prepared um, food transiting mice. So this is a corona section of an embryo. And in the brain, so neural stem cells had the green or red nuclei in the ventricular zone, but postmodernic neurons had only red nuclei in the cortical plate. And the green and the red uh, signify cell proliferation and differentiation. And during the embryogenesis with time, so green to red ratio decreased, so the earlier the more um, proliferation, the later the more differentiation. And after the birth, so the red signal becomes predominant. But even in adult tissue, so we can identify very few green nuclei, and the cells with the green nuclei correspond to tissue stem cells, like a neural stem cells found in the dental gyrus. Yeah. And when we uh, um, used <coughs> zebrafish embryo, very transparent one, so we can obtain cell cycle profile in four dimensions. So this is a segmentation period of embryo, and a side view on the head and tail. And again, with time, green to red ratio decreased, but some mitotic organs, like uh, retina and the brain, so very green. Okay. And in top view, in addition to two eyes, two eyes so we saw um, a nautical, so differentiating nautical. And in nautical, um, we discovered so the cell cycle transitions moved, trouble, okay, from head to tail, uh, like this. So G1, this transition moved toward the tail. Okay. And um, we uh, think so the uh, cell cycle regulation in the nautical is linked to somatogenesis, uh, which is also um, characterized by head to tail progression of differentiation. Okay. But anyhow, it's quite very amazing so that we can visualize uh, the middle of the body from outside. So that's just because. So the fish embryos are very transparent. Okay? And by contrast, mouse embryos, well, mammalian animals, well, including us, are too bit. Okay? Yes, uh, visible light scatters very much inside so our body, so like now mentioned. Okay? So now, uh, tissue clarification. And a long time ago, uh, we discovered that, that the membrane for wisdom blotting analysis became transparent when soaked in formora rhea. And we knew that so the GFP beta bottle is so very uh, tough, so rigid, and tolerant of um, high concentration of rear. Okay. So we started so the creating a revolution in 2011. So with our paper on scale A2, which is the first rear-based um, rear based, uh, aqueous solution for tissue clarification. Okay. And then it was followed by many uh, explosion of many new techniques. Okay. And also two years ago, uh, we reported some modification, scale S. And scale S uh, uh, contains sorbitol in, in addition to urea. And we verified that scale S can preserve uh, so the fluorescent signal um, also um, uh, outer structures, uh, so subcellular outer structures uh, like synapses. Okay. So I, I think so researchers, researchers should, should be aware of the critical trade-off between effective clearing and the tissue signal preservation. Okay. And also we invented so the upscale method, so which enables three-dimensional immunohistochemistry. 
And um, some time ago, uh, the CIDO group um, at BSI uh, generated single APP nuclear mouse models of Alzheimer's disease. And we applied upscale method, so to the brain of aged um, APP knocking mice. And to visualize a beta prax, we used uh, Alexa 488 labeled um, antibody. And there was a um, brain prepared from nine month old and APP knocking mouse and very sparse. Okay. But in uh, 18 month old, so we saw, uh, we observed so many um, immunolabeled A beta prax and uh, Yes, uh, in another experiment, uh, uh, we transcardially perfused the entire vasculature with texted lectin to label blood vessels with red fluorescence, and then we immunostained the abetaprax with green and to obtain so the 3D perspective, very comprehensive perspective of how abetaprax interface with blood vessels. Okay. So then we took interest in the special association of abetaprax with microglial cells. And we applied so the dual color um, upscale so to a brain slice prepared from APP nuclei mouse. And we analyzed so the interaction between these two objects uh, by uh, light sheet microscopy observation. And uh, we measured uh, so the distance from each microglia center to, to the nearest plug edge okay, in the 3D space. And uh, these, uh, those uh, measurements should provide uh, the information about severity of plaque neuritis, inflammatory state. For instance, so two neighboring plaques uh, with similar size, okay, but different association with microglial cells, very uh, direct contact versus uh, very isolated. Okay, so we think so, um, they suggest uh, acute neuritic state versus obsolete. Okay. And in a similar way, uh, we 3D imaged um, plaque uh, microglia association in uh, post-mortem brain samples of 80 patients um, uh, more than 50 years old. And in these three uh, brain samples, we uh, observed, detected very clear uh, quad plaques, green ones, and quad plaques, quad plaques without and with microglia glia association. But in the remaining six brain samples, samples, uh, we didn't see any uh, not we didn't see any uh, quad plaques. Okay. So then we became interested in uh, diffuse plaques. Okay. So diffuse plaques are basically undetectable, okay, not de detectable in the two-dimensional image. But our new software can resize so the 3D reconstruction systematically and with different size, uh, different thickness. Okay. And that helped us to identify uh, diffuse plaques of different sizes. And the diffuse plaques are uh, be, uh, usually assumed to be very primitive and very isolated from any inflammatory cells. But we found, so most of them can show the sign of uh, neuritis with considerable um, uh, micro -associ uh, association with microglial cells. Okay. So clinically, uh, diffuse plaques are ambiguous, but potentially very, very important. Okay. And scale plus food, uh, we studied vascular niche okay, for neural stem cells in the dentate gyrus, and to label uh, 
so neural stem cells or proliferative neural stem cells, we use the foot sd 2 m face marker, okay? and the uh, blood vessels were labeled with uh, red. And uh, green nuclei, so the neural stem cells were indeed localized inside the dental gyrus, not outside of it. And we again uh, performed distance measurement in a three-dimensional space. We measured distance from each green nucleus so to the nearest blood vessel. Okay? And then uh, we came to a conclusion that the neural stem cells are more closely associated with uh, blood vessels so than mature neurons. And Rusty has been saying, so um, adult hippocampal neurogenesis is upregulated by exposure to uh, enriched environment. And we performed so comparative experiment, comparative experiment, and uh, large-scale 3D reconstruction. And our data showed um, the, the enriched environment increased so the number or density of neural stem cells, but did not change so that their association with blood vessels. So this is a comprehensive uh, data, I think, I hope. Okay. All right, so the, this slide uh, is um, uh, well, uh, interplay between light and live. Okay. Uh, well, I remember that, so the Roger Chen, uh, Roger uh, used to remind us, uh, nature is very uh, kind to us, uh, to researchers. And that nature still remains the best source of uh, bioimaging tools. Okay? And this is uh, uh, my last slide. And only a scientist with a respect for nature would have been permitted to, to surpass it uh, in English, Japanese, and Chinese. Uh, thank you very much for your attention. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.